Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came and here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jerry Springer. Jerry. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't hear that much anymore. <laughs> Mister? Because I'm not out. Yeah. yeah. Mickey won't say it. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, here's this guy that's in my kitchen, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. yeah. We'll get the production team. We'll all we'll all uh, record us, us doing it. We'll send you a, a track that you can have on your phone. And so anytime you want, you can just hit a button and we'll all just go, Jerry, Jerry. Oh, yeah. I wanted to get that attached to my alarm clock. So... In the morning, I would wake up. I will to, not be a party to this. I will not be a party to this. Oh, that would be great. Hey, G- actually, you could get that for my birthday. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Jerry, yeah. is it your birthday? Is that coming up? I had well, no idea. Well, it was actually it was actually a week or two ago, but yeah. uh, right. we, we I'm sorry yes. we missed it. We were thinking, yeah. and then <laughs> so much going on. There is so much going on. Oh, yes. Hey, I was yeah. and Megan called me the other day and says, Gene. Jerry's a key history resource. We need to ask him about this. In 2018, Jerry, when they had we had the last pandemic, what was it like? Did you wear a mask when you went to school? And 1918. You mean 1918? Yeah, not 2018. 2018. Hey, anyway, hey, anyway, hey, anyway, hey, hey, seriously. Hey, Jane, do I know you? No, hey, what? What to do? So, Jerry, Did this is a time I'm going to take to pitch for my uh, executive producer credits now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's yeah. he's not competent. No, he's, well, he's, he's gone from he's gone from senior executive to executive senior producer. <laughs> yeah, just senior. yeah, he's a senior. Yeah, that's the only part that's right. Hey, speaking <laughs> of, speaking yeah. of the pandemic, we were talking in the last episode about. Various of us, most of us, actually, when you count David Proust, because he's an educator, has had his first uh, vaccine shot, Jerry scheduled. I've had one, Megan and Casey. By the way, we have Casey Campbell on tonight. I had him on last week. We brought hey, him everybody. back. We got yeah, thank you, thank reviews, you. and we're going to hear Jerry's <laughs> thought for the week here shortly. But uh, so we're all, you know, progressively getting our shots lined up or had our shots and Jerry, you served as the mayor of Cincinnati. You were on city council. You ran for the Senate even in Ohio. So you've been around policymaking. And some people have bitched to take David Proust, for example, and I'm being serious here. He's far younger than Jerry and me. And he did get a shot way before his age group. And the reason is he's an educator. He works in what the normal I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say, but in a school district in this That's all right. uh, yeah, in the school district. Yeah, but yeah. the uh, we've been teaching virtually, those of us. So people are arguing that people who are teaching virtually shouldn't have precedent over people who are older or have comorbidities. So, you know, for instance, um, Boomer Esiason's uh, New York Daily Talk Show, he said, you know, his son Gunner. Uh, who yeah. does have comorbidities, he should get uh, a shot before these teachers who are t- teaching virtually. Hmm. And it's a 
in a way, a fair point. Yeah. We were saying before the show, Jerry, and you've experienced this, when you're setting policy, in this case, at the highest level, well, both state and federal, by the way, the, the Centers for Disease Control and then case of Norwood Schools, the state of Ohio, that would be Governor DeWine. It's hard to set these policies because you're never going to set a policy and not piss somebody off. Would that be true, Jim? Yeah, well, the thing is, if you're setting policy for a huge mass of people, be that a whole nation or a whole state or a whole city, yep. you, you establish one policy and whatever the policy is, there are going to be people that fall through the cracks. Yeah, uh, it, it's why, for example, when you have mandatory sentencing, for example, in court, people argue against the mandatory sentences because each situation is different. The people are different. The circumstances are different. And it's the same thing when you're planning to do something positive, like, um, you know, give vaccines to people. You know, how, how do you determine? Now, I would argue it ought to be obvious that someone that has a medical need for it or to go to the front of the line. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there ought to be some evidence that they have the medical need. And even with that system, you know, there are going to be some people that know a doctor that has connections. And so there are always going to be abuses. No matter what system you set up, someone's going to abuse it, abuse it. But I don't see why a policy would be made that in any state that would say no matter, it makes sense, you say first responders, then the elderly people in nursing homes, et cetera. I get all of that. But no matter what policy you set up, there ought to be a way that if you are an individual that has an extreme need for protection, a medical need for it, then you ought to jump to the front of the line. And I think that should have been built in if it is not built in. Yep. And, and that's all I'd say to that. Yeah. It's complicated. And, uh, you know, the, one other thing on the pandemic, we have, are we going to find that coming out of a year of this, maybe a year and a half, who knows, God forbid, two years, that America is changed forever? And I was thinking the other day, some of the changes, God, who would have thought might be really good? Or are they? For example, companies, many, some companies have sold their headquarters. There are people who are working from home and aren't going to stop working from home. That means less cars being driven, drive time to and from work, less auto accidents, less. My car insurance has gone down at least this past year because they know I'm not driving much, which I'm not, not like I, as much as I used to. Uh, even the, the news, we talked about this on past episodes. Look how easy it is to get quality sources to be interviewed on news shows from the highest level, from talking head cable shows down to local. I got called the other day by a local TV station, the one where you were news anchor for years, uh, WLW in Cincinnati, I guess that's, I don't know, ABC affiliate, whatever. And they called and were looking for somebody who could talk about their experience and lining up and getting a COVID vaccine shot. And Jerry, within minutes, of a, a guy you know, John London, a, yeah. a newsman, yeah. within minutes, I was on a Zoom with him, and that was on the news that night. They didn't have to drive here. They didn't have to, you know, drag in all the equipment to my home or have oh, me sure. come. So, oh, yeah. so are, out of this pandemic, are there certain changes that we won't go back on? Do you think, for example, as a former newsman, Jerry, that 
that we should continue to use sources via technology like we have for this past year, should that be permanent? There's a good example. What do you think? Well, it, it may work out better, but the problem with all these technological improvements, or at least many of them, if not most, is that the, re- the unintended consequence is that there are less jobs. Oh, Someone's yeah. losing their job. The camera people are losing their job. Good point. Some of the reporters are losing their jobs. Um, college, universities. You know, I'm thinking um, when, uh, you know, I, I love the law and stuff having to do with that. And Lawrence Tribe, a professor at Harvard, is often on television mm-hmm. and giving his analysis of the, the legal issues we're currently facing. And I was thinking, you don't have to go to Harvard anymore. Why couldn't any person in America that wants to get an education on, on a particular subject from Lawrence Tribe just zoom into him? That's true. I mean, let him sit on, at his desk where he does, and just as he does an interview, give your one-hour course uh, three times a week. And anyone that wants to, I mean, all of a sudden, everyone could afford to go to college. That's the good news. The bad news is a lot of these universities are going to start losing, well, first of all, professors, certain professors will lose jobs. Uh, The uh, university won't be getting some of the contributions anymore because you won't have to build all the dorms and all that. In other words, there is, with every new invention, there is a negative consequence, and we're going to have to figure out a new way to employ people. Uh, But don't you think, Jerry, like with all of that, like with this new, like, there are going to have to be other jobs that come out of it as well. Like you're still going to have to have producers and they may look different and you're still going to have to have cameramen and it's, it may look different. Yeah. And Megan, that is the but, answer. But what we don't know is that it'll be the same number. There'll be a transition. Right. I think a lot of, just as Gene said, a lot of businesses when this pandemic ends or, you know, when people can get back, they're not going to be going back to offices and all you. Well, get- I look at my own, like my own, like I was in HR. HR yeah. is virtually destroyed wow. now because everybody can do everything online. Everybody has an app that they can do all of their payroll. They can do all that stuff. It's gone. And with the pandemic, like it was already a dying industry and the pandemic absolutely obliterated. Wow. I didn't, I didn't think so, of that or, or know that. By the way, downtown Cincinnati, this is the area where I live. Uh, there are so many ancillary businesses that are have either gone belly up or are seriously struggling because the people that used to come to the urban core to work to offices aren't doing that there are or even yeah. you know people i know who worked in suburban corporate headquarters are working from home therefore lunch lunchtime lunchtime businesses are drying up because they no longer have these people coming in 11 30 12 12 30 so yeah th- again yeah. jerry those are the unintended consequences the negatives you're talking about but i wonder yeah. if nonetheless because because america is driven by money by profit and i wonder yeah. if we've learned from the pandemic whether we like it or not whether some jobs are vulnerable because of it if america for that matter the world because you could make the same, have the same conversation about Paris or Rome, Italy sure. or yeah. Hong Kong, 
whether it, ch- it will change the world forever, that we won't a year from now when everybody's vaccinated, let's assume the variants aren't an issue. Let's assume we're getting boosters to deal with the, you know, oddities, that, the, the, the ripples that happen from COVID-19. Maybe the world has changed forever from this experience. I don't know. Well, we've gone through a transition, you know, for the last few decades about how manufacturing has taken a dive yeah. here in America because more things are done by computers, et cetera. And, and we moved more to a service economy and yeah. uh, a white collar economy. Yeah. Well, now we're finding that even the white collar jobs, some of them aren't necessary anymore. We are in, and Gene, you and I won't be around anymore, but I, I think that the foreseeable future, meaning 30, 40 years, uh, I'm thinking we're going to have to figure out a way that people can make money to support their families uh, other than through a job. In other words, there won't be enough jobs around to produce the things that society needs. Wow. It's going to be, you know, and that even includes agriculture. I mean, whatever it is, and that's it's hard to face because throughout history, you could always have an economy based on someone would perform a job, get paid, and because they got paid, they could go out and buy things. But if all of a sudden, you, there are not enough jobs for people to make money to support themselves, how are we going to exchange goods and services? I, I, you know, it's you know this argument, oh, socialism, socialism. Well, get ready, folks. You know, it's there's going to have to be a way for a government to distribute funds. And on a, a figure out a system where everybody gets something. It, it's you know it may sound scary, but I don't. If there are not enough jobs, what's the point? Yeah. What's you know yeah. what's the point of saying hey everyone go out and work? Well yeah, but work who's hiring me? Yeah. Casey, Casey, argument, what do you think? Yeah. Well, it's the argument of the universal basic income. I mean, that's I, th- mm-hmm. I think there, yeah. I think. I definitely think there's merit there, and it's exactly what you just said, Jerry. Is that you know tech technology is our 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 form of economy is on a race is is in a race with technology and technology is going to win yes yeah, because we're yeah we are not adapting yeah. fast enough and you so realize, I, I think you're absolutely right it, what megan hill said earlier and i really hadn't thought about it megan and it links up with what you just said jerry that even in the white collar industry megan has a master's degree in hr i guess in a, in effect that's what you you have. So she got, went back to school, got an advanced degree and look what's happened. The HR field, and you described it perfectly, was altered by the advancement of technology and somewhat by uh, the pandemic as well, forcing everybody to work out of their homes, using technology to do the tasks, right, Megan, that have to be done to make good hires. Yep. And, and to handle firing and, you know, all the things that you have to do in HR. It is a rapidly changing world. And I have heard that too, Jerry and Casey, before I remember Lewis Beck, Jerry, a friend of ours who is a very successful entrepreneur, and he generates a lot of jobs for a lot of people. And he's highly compensated himself, very successful. And he once said to me, hey, look, the day's coming pretty soon where there aren't enough jobs. The people who do jobs 
are shrinking the number. You described it once, Jerry, in the news business where you once worked, where you would look out from a news desk, an anchor desk, and see three camera persons. And now when you work in your TV shows, Judge Jerry, and your TV show before that, you often look out and see robotics, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So it yeah, is, there are a few left, but right, the whole, yeah. So all of a whole, sudden, whole, if whole, fewer and fewer people, just as you said it, are earning wages from work done, Dude, that's a recipe for revolution. If all of a sudden a handful of people are doing the work and making loads of money and everybody else is on yeah. welfare, quote unquote. So you're right. We have to come up with a system where, you know, like you say, Casey, universal distribution of survival funds that you need to survive. You got to have some happiness, too. Man, yeah. I don't know. So. Yeah. Well, I do. I do personally think that there's a there can be a balance struck, and I don't. I don't have the formula, but I think that I think that basic needs can be met for all peoples in a in a wealthy society, just like we have, without stifling the idea of creation will go down and innovation will go down and people's incentive to want to do better will go down. I think those are all kind of scare test tactics, frankly, okay. to uh, keep to keep this idea on the fringes of radicalism and things like that, because yeah. Yeah. I just I really feel like there is a balance that can be struck from, you know, th that that argument that I just put out that a lot of people would say, you know, well, if we give people food, then why would they want to go to work? Well, I think maybe if people weren't starving <laughs> to death, they would probably be really incentivized to do something that they're passionate about and they can get out and help their community and do something better for themselves and their family. And so I think that there that balance is possible. You know, I just I wish people would start taking it seriously in, in the in the public arena. Well, and you said it too. It's like that scare tactic. It's saying socialism. It's like using those those words yeah. that, have, that have been historically, you know, used to to frighten people. And there's no reason to be frightened yeah. of it. Let's let's be Casey, honest. Casey, look at your own wife, Jessica, who you know, some years ago when she was younger, and she's not that old now, even. But she went into the Peace Corps for two years. Correct. She yep. didn't need any. She didn't need money a huge amount of money to motivate her to be extremely creative and inventive Correct. and worthy of compliments and, and compensation, but that's not why she did it. That's your point. Your point is, Correct. I've always felt this, that human beings at their core are good. That's, that's the, <laughs> when I studied philosophy at Xavier University, they had, I got a minor in it. That's all we talked about at the end of the day was the nature of man. That was so core to every one of the discussions that we had. What is the nature of man and woman? And there were those of us who said benevolence, goodness. And there were some that said, nah, nah, get, you know, leave them alone and they won't do a lick of work and you'll have to fund them and they'll steal from you, et cetera. And but if I'm just one that believes that if we have to come up with a different way of keeping us all alive and happy, just like you, Casey, I think, oh, we'll find ways. I'll get up every morning and look for things that are meaningful, not just what Correct. you give me a handout for. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, instead of feeling like you're, you know, if, you, if you're someone in a, in a, an impoverished situation that has taken on two 
menial jobs just because you have to do something yeah. to earn an hourly wage. Yeah, yeah. Just imagine the benefit to their personal life and their well-being and then ultimately what they may have, you know, sort of in their head and in their heart of their contribution to society that could come forward if they were just able to pay for the roof over their head and the food on their table. You know, it's not, yep. you know, ju yep. I just think, I think just as you said, that benevolence is, is there and people, I think people want, and I think the pandemics brought some of that out is that people are looking for something greater. Now. I think people's understanding of their life in the consumerist mindset and in, and in the traditional mindset has really been thrown off. And I think a lot of people are looking at this idea now of saying, wait a second, I don't have to go into, I don't have to drive 45 minutes into the office every day. I, I can do my work from home. I can spend 75% of the time, get all of my work done. And I'm actually here with my family. This isn't so bad, you know? And so those, those small little markers show that if we, give people the tools that allowed them to lead a much more enriched life all around that it, they, we will, you know, benefit our benefit ourselves and our communities. So. I and totally to that agree. point too, Casey, it's not just like folks that are having to work two and three jobs. It's the folks that are waking up every day, going into a job that they absolutely detest yeah. that they're doing to put, you know, like they're doing it because they have a family and they're putting, you know, food on the table, but they just, it's, it's soul crushing. Yep. They're going into an office of people that they don't agree with necessarily. And they're just, they're going through the motions every day. And I have a lot of friends like that that are just doing this. And so I think you're right. I think this pandemic has opened up some, you know, work from home, some, some other options and that you don't necessarily have to have this soul crushing yeah. job and automation in is, order to be successful. Yep. And automation is coming, you know, in so many fields. I mean, it's, yeah. that's the technology, you know, behind, like you said, Jerry, with, you know, the one cameraman in a van controlling five cameras. I mean, that's, yeah. that is automation and it's happening in every field and it's going to continue to happen. And so I think instead of denying it and waiting for it to all crumble, <laughs> it seems that we should right. really start thinking about you know, just as you said, this, this idea of universal basic needs being met, you know, because we have the resources to do so. Why would we not want to do that, frankly? Yeah, I think yeah. the guarantee should be when you're born, you are guaranteed that you will have food, that you will have medical care if necessary, you, uh, you will have education, and you'll have a place to live. Yep. Beyond that, we can all fight to see who gets the Bentley. But up to that point. Yeah. Up to that and point, any one of us could take you out for that Bentley, Jerry. Let's be honest. Yeah, I don't think I could, Megan. <laughs> yeah, just being honest. I don't think I could. Yeah. No. So, uh, yeah, I think there ought to be that level. In, in other words, that should not, whether or not you can live, ought not to be dependent on what family you happen to have been born into. Absolutely. Or what your health is or what your there ought to be just a because you're a human being, this is what you get. Correct. Particularly living in our country. And yeah. now let's compete beyond that. Yep. And I think you'll get creativity then if you can start thinking of things other than I got to be able to pay the grocery bills this month. You'll spend time being creative, as you were saying. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the direction we have to go. 
and therefore I am today <laughs> my candidacy. I just want to, hey, Gene, I'm just testing the water. Just testing the water, you know. But we'll, we'll, no, we'll not, travel around Ohio. Yeah, travel we'll travel around, around Ohio. Not, not, your, oh my God. not your first rodeo. You know, we'll, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jerry, oh, uh, each week you've uh, been helping us with some pretty cool analysis of things you've observed. What, what do you what you see that this past week that gives you some thoughts? Well, I, I I'm I've really been following this story of uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh, yeah, she is that newly elected congresswoman from Georgia, yeah. who is an ideological love child of Trump, and is just the latest evidence of the evil and threat the disgraced and defeated former president has brought to our democracy. I mean, accompanying her lies about the election was her support of the insurrection, her calls for violence against Nancy Pelosi, and her claims that Jews are firing laser beams from space, which caused the California wildfires. <laughs> Come to think of it, maybe that's what's behind Trump's push for a space force to combat us Jews with our laser beams. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, even Mitch McConnell, who has stood silent during the four years of Trump's assault on our democracy, he's finally had enough and is stating unequivocally that this loony, crazy lady is a cancer on the Republican Party, not to mention our country. So then, what's the remedy? The least we could do, of course, was to remove her from her committee assignments, particularly the Education Committee to which her assignment was a cruel spit in the face of the parents of the children murdered at Sandy Hook Elementary in Parkland, telling them, as she did, that it was really a liberal fostered hopes. It never really happened. What was Republican minority leader McCarthy thinking when he put her on, of all things, the education committee? Whatever, this whole controversy turned out to be a perfect example of what the Republican Party is now facing. These right-wing extremists are taking over, and McCarthy is scared of alienating them for fear of losing his leadership position. He had wanted the Republican caucus to remove her so his fingerprints wouldn't be on the move. How's that for leadership? Anyway, he outsmarted himself because the caucus didn't remove her, thereby forcing the entire Congress to have to vote on the matter and thereby requiring every Republican congressman to have to declare before the entire nation, as well as their own constituency, whether they support a crackpot racist who supports insurrection, assassination, and sports, uh, spouts denial of the massacre of school children as simply a liberal hoax. Or on the other hand, would they show some decency and courage and vote to perch and cleanse their party of this uh, cancer and their vote either way of course presented a political cost to remove her was obviously the proper and moral thing to do but they knew that to do that would result in them having a trumpian foe in the next primary but if they took her side which amazingly 199 of them did they simply confirmed what most people already know that what was once the Republican Party is now simply a racist, extremist, anti-democracy cult. Which brings me to my point. The Democrats have got to stop dealing with Republicans 
as if they're a legitimate political party. They're not. It's nothing more anymore than an extremist group. The Democrats have just two years of an admittedly slim majority, a tiny span of time to right this ship of state, to think only of what's the right thing to do to benefit the American people, the political implications be damned. So Democrats, you've got the votes. Move. Push through the COVID relief package. The people need it. Push through the massive infrastructure bill, creating millions of jobs. Push through bills prohibiting voter suppression, a sensible immigration bill. Do it now while you have the votes. There is nothing here that voters will punish you for. Instead, they'll see a government that is really delivering for them, protecting them and their families. Do it. If individual Republicans want to join this noble effort, wonderful. Bring them to the table. They may have some good ideas. But don't let any entity, including what once was the Republican Party, get in the way of producing for the American people. If it means eliminating the filibuster, do it. Nobody ever lost an election because they wanted to do away with a filibuster. Come on, Democrats. Do the right thing. It doesn't even take courage, just decency. Good one. Yeah, that is. Very good, Jerry. Thank you. You are welcome. Thanks. Thanks so much. <laughs> so this is why you're here, huh? You have these ideas. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. When you were talking before about how some people just hate having to come to work every day. Well, you know what it's like for me coming to this podcast. I believe she said very soul crushing. Soul crushing. I mean, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's All it. Right, hey, ladies Megan, and gentlemen, hey, we do. What's that to you? I've had I've had worse jobs. I worked for him on the radio too. Oh my God! Yes. We were great days. We had we had a blast. We had a blast. We really did. We really did. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we do have our, our very good friend, Casey Campbell, back with us this evening. Casey. What's up, Casey? Yay. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me back, everybody. All right. So tonight, uh, and I forgot to ask you last time, where can we find more of your music? Give us some websites. Yeah. Where can we find more about Casey Campbell? Well, all the usual places, really, as far as uh, social media goes. Um, you can find the band, The Price Hill Hustle, on social media as well, pricehillhustle.com. My website is Casey uh, dash with a dash uh, between Casey and Campbell.com. And then music's everywhere that music is, you know, Apple, Spotify, the internet, YouTube, your favorite illegal cool, cool, download cool. site, whatever it may be. <laughs> Excellent. So tonight you're going to sing for us August 20, August 1st, 2011. That's what is correct. the significance of that date? Well, that's the day that this song was written and I'm terrible at naming songs. And so it just, ah, out good. that we just, <laughs> uh, this was co-written with a good friend of mine, uh, Stephen Williams. And, uh, we were down in Alabama. Oh yeah. Yeah. We were, um, I, I was, this was actually the summer that I went to hike the Appalachian trail and, uh, I ended up having to get off, uh, for some medical issues, uh, what turned out to be a staph infection. And so it, it knocked me off of the trail permanently. And, um, I was about, uh, two and a half weeks, three weeks 
off of the trail permanently uh, back in Alabama and uh, spending some time with Stephen once I healed up. And uh, we started writing some songs. And uh, on August 1st in 2011, we wrote this song. And it was just sort of our reflection on where we felt like we were and what we felt like the world was at the time and and really the overall sort of arched uh, meaning for us or at least for me for this tune was with or without us the world's going to keep on spinning around and so uh, you know whether you take that as a call to action or a call to life that you know everybody will find their own call in that but but I just I feel like that's sort of the 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 meaning of this song and and where we were when we wrote it all right cool yeah all right so august 1st 2011 i play my song every night for red tail lights and transvestites in the subway concrete it don't leave a track like an old dirt road when i was barefoot walking Trees of steel don't bend against the wind Time and again I hear them talking to me Small town never stood a chance to cage a man Who's dead without his freedom I'm a long way from the man you knew before I'm a long way from my Just a check when I checked out long ago It's time to cut these strings on all the useless things that hold you down so long You waste a day, you waste a year You wake and ask yourself where did the time go Dreams like empty cans are scattered long around the high grass of your dirt road
Casey, that's a good one. Yeah, thank that's you. A, that was incredible. That's a great thank song. You. Great, Casey. Oh my God, Jerry, you can do that, can't you? <laughs> uh, I, uh, uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Hey, that was amazing. Well, oh, thank you. Yeah, that's great, Casey. That's what, that's I, love, I love that album. That's a great album. Thank you so what much. Do you, what are you doing on our podcast? Yeah, I ask myself that every time, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> Once again. Jerry, you have a very, very, like, very persuasive executive. That's right. Yeah. 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 Such a vote of confidence. So yes. Hey, uh, and that's Stephen Williams, too, that teamed up with you on that, correct? Yeah, yeah. Who now lives in Ludlow, Kentucky? Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Funny whoop, enough. Whoop. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we we went to college together uh, many years ago so now. Talented. And, and uh, about six or seven years after I moved up here, Stephen found his way up here and he's been here ever since. Yeah. And he uh, has is a friend of the podcast. He's been on our show before. And, yep. and you work with him on other jobs, too. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Uh, the, he's kind of my boss right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doing some wonderful uh, hardwood floor work. So, yeah. boy, that's a that's a good one. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm glad. It I, it's fun Not to hear good. that. I actually haven't heard that song in a good while. That was uh, kind of nostalgic. So yeah, I know how you feel. I, I like yeah. to sometimes listen to Doctor Talk. Um, <laughs> my, my record. Great, right, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning <laughs> yeah, in. Thank thank you, Get us out of here, man. Go. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna have Casey Campbell take us out. Thanks and tune in again next week Thanks, to Tail Tunes and Tom Corey. <laughs> you got it. Thanks, See you guys. Yeah. Right. Thanks so much. Bye. Well, I'm going to lay down my heavy load Down by the riverside Down by the riverside Way down, down by the riverside I'm going to lay down my heavy load, y'all Down by the riverside Sit down by the riverside I ain't going to study anymore no more You've been listening to Tales to and Tom Fullery, recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. I'm going to lay down my sword and shield down by the riverside. Sword and shield